Amen. Stand if you're not standing. Happy New Year. First service in 2018. Hadn't seen y'all since last year, most of you. Amen. Before I get into the text this morning, I uh, just it seemed like to me all the songs that John and the team were doing today were about the faithfulness of God. Just That's all I could think about while they were leading us in worship this morning. And I was just reminded, this is not in the sermon notes, but... Uh, you know, we all on our automobiles, we have a rearview mirror, but notice its size in comparison to the front windshield. It's pretty small, isn't it? And that doesn't mean that we're not to have one. We, in fact, this is the law. You have to have one. You have to be able to see where you've been. And, uh, but it's not, the, it's not the major thing. Uh, how many knows that God gave us a memory? In other words, the gift to have a memory, to remember things. And uh, that's one of the main tools I think the enemy uses to, to uh, burden us, to bring us into depression. Is, in other words, he tries to use our memory against us and to remind us of things that didn't go like we wanted them to go. And anytime you're facing a brand new year, and we're, of course, into the new year, seven days, but as we're into this new year, you're always thinking about the word new. And, uh, but a lot of times the enemy tries to get us to focus on things that we shouldn't be focusing on. And I know that's true for me. It may not be for you, but it really is true for me. And uh, one time Jesus and his disciples, I think this is in the 16th chapter of Matthew, if I remember correctly, but they got into a boat. And Jesus, as they were traveling across Galilee, uh, the Sea of Galilee, he told them this statement. He said, beware of the leaven of Herod and of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the word leaven means false doctrine in that context. And he just told them to be aware of the, 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 the false teaching of religion and the political systems. The Pharisees were the religious leaders and Herod was the governmental political structure. And he says, don't let those things corrupt your, your thinking. Now, the Bible says when he said that, the disciples, because he used the word leaven, which is a is a, used in the making of bread, they said he said that because we have no bread. And one of the translations said that they had only carried less than a loaf of bread among all 12 of them. And so their immediate thought, and I know you're standing, but their immediate thought was, we have no bread. And if we're not careful, the first thing that hits our mind is what we don't have. Or the little that we have in comparison to the great need. And they reasoned, it said, among themselves, we have no bread. And Jesus said to them, why do you reason that you have no bread? Now, why is your first thought what you don't have? Why is your first thought coming into this year what you don't have, what didn't happen? Why do you reason that you have no bread? And then he said this statement. He said, is your heart not hardened? He said, do you not yet understand? He said, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And then he says this statement. Listen, and do you not remember? And do you not remember? He said, when I fed the 5,000, how many loaves did you take up? How many did you take up, church? Twelve. And when I fed the 4,000, Jesus said, how many large baskets? Large baskets. You know how large those baskets were? It's the same word that they put Paul in a large basket and lowered him down the wall. Same basket. A basket large enough to put a human in. So when he said, when I fed the 4,000, the fish and loaves, how many large baskets did you fill up? Seven. In other words, he did more with less. 
Yeah. This ain't in the sermon, but it's just come from the praise and worship into my heart. But he said, why did you reason? Why is your first thought what you don't have? This is for somebody now. We, we've got to change the way we think. And this is what Jesus said. He said, can't you see? He was literally saying, can't you see what I'm doing? Can't you hear what I'm saying? And then he says this statement, do you not remember? Now, let me just say this to you honestly. There's times I can't see what God's doing. I mean, I look for it, but I can't seem to see it. I look around 360 degrees, and it seems like to me I don't see anything that God's really up to right at that moment that I can see with my natural eyes I'm talking about. And then there are also times that I can't hear. Seems like God's not saying anything. I don't hear anything. Am I by myself or? So I, I can't see what he's doing. I can't hear him seemingly. He's being silent at that moment in my life. But one thing that never can be taken away from you is your remember, your, your memory to remember what God did for you. Did God do anything for you in 2017? Has God ever done anything for you in the past? And, 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 this, and this is the point. When you find yourself, and maybe you're right there today. Somebody's there today besides me. But when you find yourself with the inability to see, really, what God's up to and point to it, and when you find yourself with the inability to hear God speaking to you presently, one thing that can never be taken from you is you can remember. And so what Jesus did is he called them to remember, hey, guys, you might not can see what I'm doing and you might not can hear my voice right now, but you can remember. When, do you remember when I fed the 5,000? Do you remember when I fed the 4,000? That was me. That was supernatural. That, I did that. And you even took up tremendous amounts of leftovers. Okay, because I'm the God of more than enough, not just enough. They didn't eat to survive. They ate to the full. Okay, and I just wanted to start off by telling you that today. And I felt that so strong during the, the worship of God's faithfulness. Look back upon the faithfulness of God. Don't look back on the hurts and the pains and the traumas and the things that, that brought pain in your life. Because God's not the author of your pain or your trauma. Your, God's the author of your faith. He's the author and he's the finisher of your faith. But when you do look back, don't look back on all that negative stuff, but look back on the positive. Look back when God did feed you, when you couldn't have fed yourself. Look back on when God did provide for you, when you couldn't provide it for yourself. And God's blessed us to be here in 2018 and to see another year. And I know there's tremendous challenges ahead for all of us. We don't know what, to, what the future holds, but we know who holds the future, don't we? Amen. Today, I'm just entitling this something new. And in for order to us for, to have something new, it's, it's a great time to talk about this because your minds are already kind of calibrated for that anyway. So I've got to work with the culture. Okay? I've got to work with the culture. So January has a different feel than July. Even in our world, in our culture, in America, January has a feel to it. And people are talking about that. So many of you have said to me this morning, even coming in, Happy New Year, Pastor. Happy New Year, Pastor. So your mind is on the new. When you look up the word new, over 400 times you'll find the word new in the Bible. God really likes new stuff. God says things like, behold. That means really look and stare. I do a new thing. God says when a man's born again, he says, behold, all things have become new. Old things passed away, but all things have become new. God says, I'm going to give you a new covenant. It's God says things like, I bring you into a new and living way into Christ. 
God says, I, I, I give you a new heart. I take away the old stony heart and I put a heart of flesh in you. In other words, you're going to want what I want. You're going to want what I want. You won't be a Christian struggling, wanting something different than what God wants because when God makes you new, he really makes you new. That's why you have to be born again to get into this. You don't get this by mental ascent. You get this by birth, spiritual birth, new birth. Amen? So to have something new, we've got to say that something old goes away. I don't know about you, but I've already wrote 2017 on a couple of my checks. When I'm writing checks, do you do that? It's hard to remember it's 2018 when you're writing that bill out in that check. And I'll look down there, it's not 2017, it's 2018. And I have to now calibrate myself to know that it's 2018, it's not 2017, that's gone. I don't write that anymore. I can't put 2017 anymore because that's not here any longer. It's a new year. So if we want something new, that means we've got to let go of something old. Amen? So, Father, we love you. Thank you for a new year. Thank you for new hope, for new vision, for, Lord God, just the expectancy of new in our lives, in our ministries, in our homes, in our bodies. Lord, we thank you for new. We thank you that you're the God that makes all things new. We praise you for that. We thank you that you said you would bring a new heaven and a new earth, that you would make all things new. There would be no more tears, no more sorrow, that you would make all things new. I praise you for the new in this year. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Hug somebody's neck, shake their hand, introduce yourself to them if you don't know them. dangerous to do this to this church. They go to visiting. How many have noticed, uh, like me, and it happens every year, it really, to be honest, kind of gets on my nerves a little bit, if that's a proper statement, but um, all the commercials seem to shift to exercise equipment or, or diets or diet remedies or lose weight. I mean, it's like all the commercials all of a sudden January 1 shifted from Christmas commercials to that. And everybody's, you know, and, 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 you know, and there's nothing evil in making a New Year's resolution. A lot of people do that. And one of the most common is to lose weight. You know, and some of you may have made that. I won't ask you to raise your hand uh, so that we can judge you all year on how well you're doing. But uh, I did see some of our church folks, uh, a group of them, post that they were, as a family, a large family, they're entering into a contest of who's going to lose the most weight. And they were beginning January the 1st, and on the 31st of January, they're going to have a weigh-in and uh, see who won, you know, the challenge that was was given. So uh, I'm interested to see if they're going to post that on Facebook. You know, here's the winner. and So that's all of us didn't. But, uh, you know, I, I remember... Uh, little story lady walked into her bathroom in her home and her husband was standing in there on the bathroom scales, you know, uh, weighing himself. And, and, uh, and she saw him, you know, really sucking in his stomach, you know, and she, <laughs> she says, like, that's going to make you lose weight. She says, that's not helping you at all. He said, yes, it is. It's the only way I can see the numbers. <laughs> he couldn't even see the numbers unless he sucked his stomach in, you know. So I don't know what your New Year's resolution is or uh, if you even have one. But, 
you know, what, what it involves is change. And we've changed from 2017 to 2018. We changed how we write our checkbooks. We, are, we will change several things. Many things have changed just because of the change in our culture. God's not working off our uh, calendar. He still has his own calendar and his own timetable that, that he's operating off of. But, but, you know, sometimes people get real philosophical, you know, with me sometimes. And they say, well, what, you know, time. And I've always said, you know, there's several things that expresses about time. Trying to define time is very difficult because it's such a, you know, time is a temporary interruption in eternity. Uh, if you take away time, then all you're left with is eternity. That's what's going to happen. That's why we're going to enter into eternity because eternity preexisted time. Do you understand that? So time was created by God as a stage, as a temporary interruption in eternity. When man sinned, uh, time came into being. In other words, man became finite he would instead of living forever he would die and, and so time is what caused that cancer doesn't kill anybody without the addition of time you understand a disease has to have time added to it or it has no effect upon anybody the only reason you and I grow old is because we're wearing watches because of time and the only reason that we're 2018 instead of 2017 is because of time and so Time is temporary. God says that there's coming a day that an angel will put one foot on one land, one on sea, and say, time shall be no more. And so we'll, we will go back to the way God intended things to be where there is no time. And if you have no time and nobody's wearing a watch, then you don't die, you don't change, everything's eternal. You understand? And God exists outside of time, but God has intersected and invaded time through his son, Jesus Christ. And God is not aloof to time. God is not apart from it. But time in this context of what I want to talk to you about today is that time is really the calibration of change. Time is the calibration of change. And that's how we really measure time is because of change. If you don't believe it, go back and look at your photos 10 years ago. You can't believe you used to wear your hair that way. You can't believe that you wore those type clothes. You can't believe that you look that way. Now, I, you look wonderful, but I'm just saying we change. Time causes change. And so I want to talk about those changes. And some changes we don't have anything to do with. They just are thrust upon us. And uh, some changes we have to cooperate to bring change. As I said, if you're going to lose weight, then that's something that God's not going to do. You can't just pray. Like I hear some people praying, Lord, I cast all the calories and the fat out of this ice cream that I'm about to eat in Jesus' name. I've heard people pray that, but it doesn't seem it's working for them. That'd be wonderful if it did, uh, but it doesn't seem to be working that way. But I want to talk about three of the greatest changes that God brings about into our life. And the first one is such a, a, uh, a given that it's often overlooked. And the first one, you know, in preachers, a lot of times we're supposed to give you three points. That's about all that... Maybe a lot of us can remember. So the first word that I want to give you, the first point is formation, formation. And so our formation, in other words, uh, coming from non-existence to existence. There was a time, this is so basic, but you, often we overlook this. There was a time that we individually did not exist, right? And God brought us from non-existence into existence and that's something that you and I didn't have anything to do with you ever heard somebody say I didn't ask to be born kind of deal uh, but we understand what you mean by that and that's usually a kid telling you that when they're getting in trouble about something or 
or thinking, and sometimes it's an adult, but, but there was a time that you were not, but now you are. And God brought you in to time. God brought you in to existence. And the, my favorite uh, verses that reflect that is Psalm 139, verse 13 through 17. Psalm of David, and this is what he says in the New King James Version. He says, for you formed me. He's talking to God, talking about God. For you formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. He says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's a real common verse, but it's really often overlooked. The wonder and the amazement of the creation that God did by bringing us into existence. He said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Look what he says. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. God saw our substance when we were yet unformed. Can you, can you see that? And in your book, they are all written. The days fashioned for me when is yet there were none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, oh God. How great is the sum of them. I was in this church, uh, I guess it was Friday morning, and that was, it's been so cold, I like to walk and pray or get outside and do make exercise. And it's been, it's been tough for us South Georgia folks. And people from up north, they maybe mock us, but they can have it, okay? And I've had my fill of cold weather already. So I, w- I came down, I told you I was going to come down to the church and pray a while and just be able to walk in here and, and, and in the warmth and just pray and, and, and spend some time, you know, in prayer for this service and just for many things. And so I, I was just walking in the sanctuary uh, Friday morning and it's about 11 o'clock and one of our uh, families of the church, uh, one, they've had a, a child, a baby, and we rejoice in that. We, it's just so wonderful and people are really good about putting those baby pictures up on on Facebook, and I enjoy getting to seeing seeing those things, and and I knew about the the, the you know the the baby, and and uh, and so about eleven o'clock, my my phone buzzed, and I thought it might have been Sister Jill, so you know, I looked at it to see, and it was the family that was out at the hospital here in Valdosta, and they were saying, Pastor, we we want you to pray for us and uh, for our for our baby, and we didn't want this posted, you know, uh, but we want you to pray for our baby and they said that our baby uh, hadn't eating is not eating very well and they said if he doesn't start eating better by his next feeding they're going to put in a feeding tube and and he's not able to uh, he hadn't eaten anything any more than 10 ounces in like a 12-hour period and they're getting concerned because he's only five pounds when he was born a little over five pounds and they said also his blood sugar is not normal and his blood sugar's out of whack. And also, he doesn't have the ability to regulate his own body temperature. So, so please pray for us. And you could just feel that in that private message that they sent me through Facebook. And, and so I immediately text back and I said, I'm actually at the church now praying. And I will immediately begin praying and declaring God's healing for that child. And I did. And I'm not saying that this is my prayer, but I, I declared that. And I'd already planned to go see them. I told my wife, I'm going to go to church a while and pray. And then I'm going to go by and see that new baby. Had no idea that there was any problems going on. And so I probably was here another 30 minutes, drove up to, to South Georgia Medical Center, and as soon as I pulled up, my phone uh, buzzed again and on private message, and, and they had just sent me another message and said, praise God, Pastor, God has answered our prayer, your prayer. said he just took 28 ounces of, of, uh, of uh, baby formula. 
I'm telling you, God still answers prayer. And, uh, and so, I, of course, I, I said, I'm in the parking lot. And I went upstairs. And, and man, they were, they were so smiling and beaming. And because that was the critical feeding. If he had not eaten uh, more than that, then he would have been getting a feeding tube. And they hate to see a little fella have to go through that. Anybody would. And, and, and they also said his blood sugar is normal, Pastor. And they said because he ate 28 ounces, they're not worried about he will be able to regulate his own uh, body temperature. Amen. And, uh, and, and it just done my heart so good. It, that's what Jill said. She said, I know that blessed you as much as it blessed them. I said, it did. Because I said, you know, I actually prayed and it worked. Glory to God. I mean, it, not that it doesn't work, but sometimes it seems like it doesn't work. Can I just be honest with you? I mean, it seems like I pray and then it's a year later before you see an answer, but, or, you know, or 10 years later sometimes. But to be able to pray and see just an instant manifestation of the healing power of God, not because I prayed, but because God's good. But we can't lose faith in praying. We, after a while, if you don't ask, you're not going to get. And so, you know, and, and it just blessed me. So I was encouraged by it. And I want to tell you, God, if God can do that for a little child, God can do that for you. It doesn't matter what you're, what's going on in your life and your body. And so don't lose the hope of just ask God. Gee, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. Ask God. But when you ask, it says ask in faith, believing that the things you ask for, you receive. And whether you see the manifestation quickly or not, there's things in my life I'm still waiting on the manifestation. And if I start focusing on I have no bread, what little bit of, you know, you can take a, you can take a, a, a penny, even a quarter, and hold it up on a sunny day like outside today and hold it. If you focus on it and get it close enough to your eyes, you can block the whole sun out. Something that small can block out the light of the sun. To you. That's why David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name. See, you can't make God any bigger. What does David mean, magnify God? You can't really make God larger than he is, but you can make him larger to you. And so the Bible said, I'll keep them in perfect peace whose mind is glued, who's fixed upon me. So focus not on the problem. Don't let something come and obstruct the sun, the light, the revelation of who God is and what God is for you and for your life and for your family and just get that stuff out of the way and just look, behold him, behold his glory. And so you, you, we, we, it's just something that you have to, you have to de desire to see why that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says that your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And I love this verse in verse 16. And in your book, they were all written. They were all written. God, the days fashioned for me, yet when they were none of them. And then it says, how precious also are your thoughts to me. Do you know that you are in the thoughts of God? Do you know God thinks about you? God has thoughts about you. Jeremiah 29, 29th chapter. This is not in the notes, but, but you know, that we love the international, New International Version translation. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. That, that's what God's thoughts are. The King James says, I know, I'm the one that knows my thoughts. That, you know who he said that to? Who Jeremiah was prophesying to? He was prophesying to the Jews who had been carried captive to Babylon. They, you know, that, they, were, they were in a tragic situation as far as they were concerned. And God says, listen, I know everybody's preaching doom and you're going to die in Babylon and you're never going to see Israel again. But God said, listen to me, I know the thoughts that I have towards you. I've got plans for your life. And he said, these plans are not to harm you. They're to give you hope and a future. And, and so, so if we're thinking, see, it, it, is, it, is, it is so wrong for a Christian to be hopeless. 
because we have a blessed hope and his name is Jesus. Can somebody say amen? See, he, he says, I, you, you are in the thoughts of God. Please don't forget that this year. God thinks about you. God never ceases to think about you. And, and his signature is on your soul. The reason you got a unique fingerprint is because God put his hand on you. Nobody's got one like you. You know, when they discovered DNA, not only did it help in a lot of areas, but what one thing it did do is when, when science discovered DNA, they were able to see clearly what makes us unique. I mean, to, to look at it through a microscope. And, and, and I read this this past week. If you were to take one single strand, one single strand of, of, of our DNA, and you were able to put it into print, and you would put it at 500 words a page, one single strand now, 500 words a page of your, your DNA, and 600 pages per volume, it would take 1,000 volumes to record one single strand of your DNA. That's 600,000 pages for just one strand of your DNA. Our minds can't even compute that. There, there, there's like 7 million cells in one human eye. And these scientists got all fired up about an amoeba, single cell organism. You got 7 million. And from the time a child's born, there's, there, there's, there's, there's over 3 trillion cells in a baby's body. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And that DNA is unique. It's like your fingerprint. It's like you're who you are. And, and, and so why would God make you so unique? You're made unique for a purpose. And, and this year, if you've never done this, and this may sound strange to some and common to others, but you need to pause and just say, God, what's your purpose? Why am I so unique? Why is my DNA put together like this. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. One translation renders that we are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship created, look at what it says, in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what you've been created for, for good works. Not to do good works so God will like you. God already loves you. But you, you're, you're being created for good works. Your life's supposed to be good works. Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them you know I think it was Mark Twain that said the two greatest days of a person's life is the day they were born and the day they find out why they were born we need to find out why so the first thing that God does is he brings us into existence from non-existence he he causes our formation we're formed by God can you say amen to that now the second one is point number two is transformation now, when a person receives Jesus, believes in Jesus, th there is a transformation that happens instantly, and there is an ongoing transformation that is going on in their lives. Our spirit is immediately born again. We're transformed immediately. Ephesians 4.24 says that our spirit was created in true righteousness and true holiness. When we were made that way, you're born again that way. But now what we see of each other is not going through some radical transformation we still look relatively the same so our body was not transformed but what happens is that we talked about Romans 12 and 1 verse 2 and 3 where that true transformation comes by the renewing of the mind 
And I've talked about that in the past. But what, what he's talking about here is transformation is that God changes us from just mere existence into meaningful life and purpose for our life. And that's what God does in this. He, he gives us a new covenant. And I want you to get this. I said this a while ago, but new desires. You know, when the New Testament, I don't have time. That's a whole other sermon. I have it in my book. I have a whole chapter devoted to this in my book out there. But it says that, that God says in the New Testament, I will write my laws upon their heart. A lot of Christians think God's writing the Ten Commandments on their heart. Why would God write what didn't work in the Old Covenant? God says that that has passed away. Romans 3 says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them who believe. But what God's writing upon our hearts, God's telling us that I'm going to give you a heart after me. You're going to desire what I desire. Being a Christian is not us still wanting the world and then having to strain and discipline ourselves not to go after it and living miserably. No, no. Being a born-again believer is all of a sudden my want-tos have changed. I'm, I've met, you know, I remember when I got born again, people, I'd meet, you know, old friends. And say, well, don't you want to do this? Or don't you want to do that? Or don't you miss it? No. I don't want to. My want to's have changed. Because I have a new heart. My mind's being renewed. I, I don't want those same old things. I'm not captive in a body that still desires all those things. And I'm just struggling trying to make it and trying to resist and trying to hold on and hang on. No, uh-uh-uh. That's not, that's not what it means to be a Christian. That's not what it means at all. You remember the, the people get mad at this, <laughs> Greek mythology. So I understand it's Greek mythology, okay, but it's just a, 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 a picture. But if you remember, I remember when I was in seventh grade, I think it's when they really poured that on to us in the public school system. But one of the stories that I always remembered was uh, Mesmer and how these sailors would be, you know, traveling and they would go past this certain island. All this is mythology, but they'd go past this certain island and the, these women there, these, these beings would, would, would uh, the sirens, you know, they would, they would call out to the sailors and the sailors would be so, you know, moved by the, 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 the melody and the song and the, the voice of these women that they would turn their ships toward them and, of course, not knowing that there were rocks and, and, and all that there and they would crash their ships into these rocks and lose their lives and, and they would take their bounty from them you know and and so this the sailors begin to hear about this that this happens in this area so what one guy did is he said I'm not going to have this happen to my crew and to my ship and I'm not going to lose this so when they approached that area uh, they all tied each other to the to the mast they tied each other to the ship and they put cotton in their ears where they couldn't hear the song of these women you know and they just gritted their teeth and they just sailed past this area you know just gritting determination and we're not going to die a lot of people think that's what the Christian life is. Just, just trying to drown out the world, trying to just grit your teeth and do better, try harder, resist. But then there was another guy, a captain named Mesmer, or, or captain of a ship that brought a man on his boat named Mesmer. You ever heard the term mesmerized? It's where it comes from. Mesmer was a musician, a harpist, violinist, beautiful musician. So the captain brought him on board, and he says, when we get close to these islands where these sirens put out their call, when I point at you, you start playing. And so he began to play, and he began to play on that instrument. And Mesmer was so beautifully playing that his sailors never even paid attention to the calls of the sirens, never even heard them because they had become mesmerized by the beauty and the song of, the, of Mesmer. That is the real picture of a Christian. It's not that we've got 
that fight all this world, we got something on board better. We, 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 we've got Jesus on board. It's not mesmerized, it's Jesus-ized. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about we want to go to church. I want to read my Bible. I want to pray. I want to worship God. I want to lift my hands in the sanctuary of the Lord. I want to give praise out of my lips to God for his goodness and mercy unto me. I want to do all those things. I want to give. I want to worship. I want to serve. I'm not doing this. All right, time to go to church. I got to go. I hate to hear people say that. Don't say that to me. That's just, I got to go to church. No, you got to go to work. You got to bathe your behind in the shower. <laughs> you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to pay your taxes. But you ain't got to go to church. You are the church. You are the living epistle. It, it's the, it's the, come on, y'all. I shouldn't have said behind in church. Bad preacher. But sometimes those words just slip out. But listen, that's what it is to be a Christian. We're free. We're not in bondage. I'm not straining at this. I've been on both sides of the fence. I still got my memory. I can remember serving the devil. Now I'm serving the Lord, and I like it better on this side. My worst day here is better than every day that he ever put together on the other side, okay? So transformation is a new covenant. It's a new desire. It's a new worldview. It's a new life. It's, it's, you get in this by being born again, not by straining or trying harder. And so God gave us a whole new way of relating to God. You know, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, this is what he says. He says, I saw, this is God talking about all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery. And he said, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Uh, yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear but went and played the harlot also. So we've all heard this if you've been in church that God divorced Israel. He gave her, he says here, a certificate of of divorce. It wasn't because God hated her or he was angry. It was because that she desired someone else. She went and played the harlot. She went and said, I don't want you as my husband. I want this as my husband. And so in Malachi, most of us remember, I think it's the second chapter, but anyway, it says that God hates divorce. And most people just simply apply that to, to between a natural husband and wife. And he does, and, and it does apply. But what God's really saying prophetically is he hates divorce in his heart back when he had to divorce Israel. And God said that's because of that old covenant that was, I found fault with because it was dependent upon the people's obedience. And so God says, I'm going to bring a new covenant that will no longer be dependent upon their, their performance, and I'm going to fix it, and I'm going to eliminate forever, listen, the possibility of me ever divorcing them. Hebrews chapter 7, 22 says, by so much more Jesus has become a surety. That word surety means guarantee of a better covenant. And, and so, so that's what God's talking about. There is a day that God swore to God. Did you hear what I said? There is a day God swore to God. God swore unto himself. In Hebrews chapter 6, 18 says that by two immutable things, that means unchangeable things, uh, which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Now, what is this hope? It says this hope, in verse 19, we have as an anchor of the soul. Your soul is anchored. Your soul is anchored, both sure and steadfast. Now, you can't move a sure and steadfast anchor, okay, and which enters the presence behind the veil. 
where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest, how long? Forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, the point is this. Listen, it's not about you. It's not about me. Now, listen, the new covenant is out of our hands and guaranteed by Jesus himself. See, this makes it an eternal covenant. It makes it unconditional, unbreakable covenant because God cannot lie. Do y'all see that? See, I don't know, I don't have time to spend a lot of time on this, but there's, there's David, King David, Jonathan, Saul's son, remember? And those, those two guys love one another. They, they made covenant with one another. And when you make a covenant in the, in the context of a biblical understanding, this is not just some legal ag- agreement. This is, a, this is not some uh, peripheral thing. This is a heart thing. This is an eternal thing. And so it, it includes in the covenant those not yet born. And there was, Jonathan later had a son named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was only five years old when, when Saul and Jonathan died on the battlefield. And he had a nurse there that was hired by the king, by Jonathan, to take care of this little boy. He's five years old. My little grandson, granddaughter, they're five years old. And so five years old, a lie was told to the the caretaker, and all of them in the palace, David's coming this way. He's going to kill everybody here. He has harm for you. So out of fear, she grabs up the little boy, and she, the Bible says she ran with him, just trying to escape. And she fell with him. And when she fell with him, obviously she fell upon him, and she broke both of his legs. This really happened. This is biblical times. They don't have an orthopedic surgeon and all that kind of stuff. So from that day forward, from five years old, he's not been able to walk, take another step. He was crippled from that day forward. And so he, he actually goes and, and he's carried out to a place called Lodibar. It means a wilderness place, a barren place, a place of no provision, no, nothing there. And he's living in a little hut. Now he's lived all of his life from five years old. Now he's a grown man. Now as David becomes the king and things get kind of settled down in Israel, he remembers the covenant that he had with Jonathan because they would cut covenant. Every time David bathed his wrist, he would see a scar and he remembered the day that they cut covenant with Jonathan. And so he just said to one of his servants, he said, is there anybody left of the house of Saul that I may do them well? And they said, yes, O king, there is a lad named Mephibosheth who lives in a place barren called Lodibar. David said, go fetch him, bring him to me. That guy had living in obscurity and living out there just trying to survive off of just mere stuff, can't provide for himself. He can't even go get his own food. Somebody got to bring it to him. And so all of a sudden he sees that five-star flag of King David flying on that entourage as it pulls up. He looks out his window, no doubt, and says, I'm done for. They have found me. They have come to kill me. Soldiers didn't give any details. They did what they were ordered to do. They took him and said, the king desires you. He, in fear and trembling, knows that he's going to be hanged or beheaded or executed. And he's brought before King David. And David looks at him with compassion and love. And he's thinking he's coming to his execution. He's actually coming to his reward. And he says, I want you to know that before you were ever born, I made a covenant with your daddy. And I want you to know that all of Saul's and your dad's inheritance and all their land 
and all their farmland and all those acres I've kept for you, not from you. And here's all the resources, and here's all the money, and here's all the blessings. And from this day forward, you will, you will live and eat and dwell in the palace with me. And you will sit at the king's table, and the provision will be provided for you every day. All that your daddy had. He said, here it is. See, listen to me. That's the way it is with you and I. Before, listen, before you were ever born, God entered into a covenant with Jesus. On our behalf. Before, it's like Mephibosheth wasn't even born when David and Jonathan made covenant with one another. But see, a covenant, if you understand the Bible, a covenant includes the seed. I'm of the seed of Abraham. I, 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 I'm, I'm in the lineage. And see, when you can see that, 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 that we're just like Mephibosheth. We're being shown kindness like he was shown kindness by King David because of a covenant that you wasn't even a part of, but that was made on your behalf. And, and, and see, we're beneficiaries of the covenant that Jesus made with the Father on behalf of us. You know, I, I used to always think that my relationship with God, listen to me now, somebody's going to misquote me on this, but my relationship with God I always thought was between God and me, my personal relationship. But I will tell you, when I came into the revelation of the grace of God, and, and, and I cannot tell you what it has meant to me when I, when I, when I saw the, the revelation that my relationship to God is not based on or dependent on what I do, but upon what Jesus has done. And, 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 and listen, uh, my relationship to God is based on Jesus acting on my behalf. He's my intercessor. See, the, the Bible says he ever liveth to make himself. Now, some of you think that Jesus prays for you. Now, now don't, don't, please don't hear this wrongly. You, you, you quote that and you say, you know, that, that, that Jesus is, you know, ever liveth at the right hand of the Father there to make intercession for me. And then what you do, and I've heard preachers preach, that Jesus is praying, you know, for you, all your prayers for you. How's that worked out for you? Come on now, if I'm really honest and I think Jesus is praying for me, the light of me, his prayers ain't working. A lot of times. Am I the only real person in here today? So if Jesus is praying for you, what's the problem? Why ain't it all just, you know, sunshine and cotton candy? You got to pray for yourself you got to speak out of your mouth. So what, we don't understand. He didn't say, the Bible doesn't say Jesus is praying for you. He said he's your intercessor. That's your go-between. That means if you want to see the president, you're going to have to have somebody to intercede on your behalf. If you're going to, if you're going to walk into a, a place where there's a CEO, you're just not going to walk in and go, hey, what's up, man? You're going to have to talk to the secretary and maybe to another secretary. You're going to have to have an intercessor to come and say, you know, the, you know here, here's this person wants to talk to you. And they're going to have to say, okay, I'll talk to them. See, Jesus, is, Jesus ever liveth. The problem with the Levitical priesthood is they died. They would live, high priest, die, got to get another one. But now you have a high priest named Jesus that never dies. You don't ever have to get another one. He ever liveth to make intercession for you. And so, your, listen, your salvation is, is, is only as good as Jesus lives. 
The only way that a Christian could ever lose their salvation is if Jesus dies. Help me, Apostle. You believe in once saved, always saved? 100% absolutely. And you, you better if you read the Bible. It ain't based on you. It's not based. And see, listen, every, everybody that I've ever talked to that's a Christian that really believes, number one, you didn't get that by reading the Bible. You got that by somebody preaching that to you. Number two, those that believe that, see, because you want people to pay for their sin. You can't imagine somebody doing wrong and then dying and still going to heaven because you don't like that. You want them to get their due. That shows you your heart's got some work needs to be yet received. But thirdly, you've got to understand this, that, that we, we, are, we are saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And if your sin or my sin can undo what Jesus' blood did, that makes sin more powerful than the blood of Jesus. It is actually those people who diminish, diminish the work of Jesus on the cross. Listen, for, for everybody that says, well, you can lose your salvation, it always, this is what they always say. But what if I do this, Pastor? Am I still saved? What if I do this? What if I did this? What if, what if, and they give me a scenario. Well, what if this? See, you notice it all begins with them. Their rationalization begins with I. What if I do this? Am I still saved? See, you got yourself right in the middle of a covenant that you're not in the middle of. It ain't based on you because you wasn't there when it was made. You ain't in the covenant. You are a beneficiary of the covenant if you put your faith in your Jonathan, who is Jesus. And if you are the seed of him because of your faith in him, then your salvation is secure. And I don't know why that should make you quiet. You should be headbutting one another, high-fiving and chest-bumping right now. But religion's done that to you, but you keep coming. We'll keep helping you get rid of it. God swore to himself, he says, two unchangeable things. What's the two unchangeable things here? God and God. Every Christian, always, what if I, it ain't about what if I, it's what he did. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17 and 18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, freedom. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, as being transformed, there's the word, transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now let me just kind of say about this verse. You know, sometimes it's hard to think of examples that I can try to help paint the picture. But here he says the mirror, the transformation comes by you looking in the mirror, which is the glory of God. There's other verses that tell you that the glory of God is the word of God. Okay? And I mean more than just a printed page. I mean, Jesus is the word. But when you, if you're going to, these ladies, men too. Man, if you get up and you got the, the bed head, you know, your hair's 14 ways from Sunday, as they say. The only way you're going to be able to remedy that is you're going to have to look in a mirror. Unless someone did it for you. But I mean, if you're going to take care of it, right? Come on, it's not hard. You got to look in the mirror. And so then you remedy it by staying focused in the mirror. And that's what brought about the transformation in your hair. <laughs> okay. Uh, when a woman gets there and puts on the makeup. Really, I don't, I don't mean, I don't care if you wear makeup or not, okay? I'm not married to you. But, <laughs> but I do really enjoy when Sister Jill puts on something. Not because, not because she's not pretty without it. And she knows that. 
I say that for your benefit, not hers. And she'll tell you, I'm always telling her how beautiful you are. I mean, you know. Now, she, she looks forward to not having to put that stuff on. Because it's an ordeal, she says, to, to do all that. But man, I, you know, me personally, just me, I enjoy it. I mean, she's just beautiful. She's beautiful without it, but man, when she, when she goes through that transformation, you know, and what I call them smoky eyes and all that stuff, I'm like, yes. You know, I'm like, whoo. You know, I'm talking about she give Carrie Underwood a run of her money, you know, with them eyes. And, and it just, you know, but for her to do that, she has to look into the mirror for that transformation. Do you understand what the point? I'm not talking about makeup and all that. I'm talking about transformation. Now, I'm saying if you want to be transformed, you're going to have to look in the mirror, which is God's word. And when you look in God's uh, word, it's, it's, it's like a magnifying aspect. It, it's, uh, and and, and it, is, it, it brings that clearly, what needs that we have so that we can manifest that new life on, on, in us. L- last word. So we got formation. We come from non-existence to existence. And not mere existence, but to meaningful life with a purpose. And then God gives us a tremendous transformation. We're transformed. We don't look the same. We don't have the same worldview. We, I mean, everything's different. We see time differently. We see our money. and We, we see everything differently. And then the last one is um, really our translation. So we've got formation, transformation, translation. I won't spend much on this. You know, most of you know I was, I was a paramedic for 20 years. Uh, up in Tifton, and um, at doing that job, and there's people here probably that does that, and we got nurses and medical people here, and we love and appreciate you so much. But I know when I did that, and, uh, you know, you see people die. I mean, there's no way to, and it, it's nothing like Hollywood portrays it, nothing. You know, it's not like poor acting. <coughs> I mean, it's none of that, none of that. And uh, I remember, I can remember the first person that I went to that died. And I think everybody that does that remembers that first person because it's just a, it feels so different. It's just, it's just weird, I guess, too. And you, and you see the frailty. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I remember there used to be some kind of little saying that some poetic person said. I'll probably mess it up. But he says, life is like, you know, 10,000 springs. But one, one spring goes and life exists no more. And I'm so amazed that a harp with a thousand strings can play on even after one is gone. But you, the frailty, the fearfulness, and how easy it is in that line between life and death. And I don't say this to be morbid or to depress you and, or anything. And I started just to leave this out and make it a two-pointer just because of, of my, you know, I don't. But, but you have to realize that. One reality that we all have, what, no matter what you believe about doctrine, is that one day we will die. Nobody's whooped that yet except Jesus. And so the reality is, well, I don't believe in the Bible. Well, the Bible says that, that men will die. Well, that's, that part's true, for all men have died. No matter what you believe, don't believe. And I, and I remember, and I can think back on many people that I accompanied in the back of that ambulance that died. Some died unexpectedly. I didn't have a clue. Some died, and they knew they were dying. Some told me they were going to die. One thing I learned after doing that 20 years, if they told me they were going to die, you could just about take that to the bank. They knew it. I remember 
so many times, and I remember this one man we had that didn't have but one lung, and, and we would go to him often because he had a lot of health problems. And, and I had this young, uh, I don't mean anything despairingly, I'm just trying to tell the story, but I had this young trainee paramedic uh, with us, and, and he was, it just happened to be a Catholic guy by birth, but he said he didn't really practice anything, but, but that, you know, that was his background. And I don't mean that despairingly of Catholic people, but I'm just simply saying that was his background. And so we go, and, and we actually sent two units out there uh, because of the nature of the call that came in. But, but he, was, he was alert and everything. And, and so when I put him up in the back of the ambulance, me and my partner, me and this guy, um, put him up in the back. He said, can I just say something to my wife? Now, he was in distress, and he needed to be in the hospital, and we were doing what we could do for him. And, but I, I just had that feeling. I was a believer. I, and so I said, yes, well, just a moment. And so his wife stepped up in the back. He put his arms around us, and, and we would go in this guy's bedroom, and he had crosses on the wall and Christian sayings, and you could just tell this guy really, I mean, he did. He loved God. He wasn't playing religion. But on that night, it was just totally different. I'd been to him several times. And on that night, he said, I, I need to talk to my wife. Please, just let me talk to her just a minute for y'all. Close the doors and head out. And he, and he said, come here, baby. He grabbed and held on to her. And he said, Darn, I want you to know I love you. And I'm going to see you on the other side. Whew. And we're thinking, I don't be talking like that, you know, whatever. And so she stepped out, closed, we closed the door. And halfway to the hospital, he went into what we call a code or full arrest. He, you know, so that unit that was, had, had assisted us came. And so now there's two of us uh, in the back, and everybody's working feverishly to try to CPR and everything, this guy. But the reality is he's gone. Now, I was actually driving on the way, and when the guy, the young little Catholic boy in the back hollered, hey, he's gone into code, you know, full arrest, code, you know, code, code blue, they call it. So I immediately pulled over, and I noticed he looked really strange. And we got to the ER and got everything, and, of course, long story, he was pronounced, you know, dead after a little while at the hospital. And, uh, and, and, and this guy's name was Bob, and he, he called me off to the side, and he said, he said, man, he said, that guy freaked me out. And I said, what do you mean? He said, he said that guy... Uh, leaned up and started talking. He said he was like he was talking to the Lord. And I said, well, what did he say? And he said, Father, I thank you that you've come for me. And, and he said he just carried on a conversation, and he was like looking through the roof of the ambulance like he was talking to somebody. He said, man, every hair on my body was standing to attention. He said, I had chill bumps all over me. He said, man, it was weird. He said, I'm just freaked out. He said, I ain't never seen nothing like that. And I said, would you tell his wife that? He said, yeah. So I went and got her because I knew her. And I brought her in there, and, and I said, I want you to hear what he said that your husband said as, as he died. And she stood there, and, of course, she loved him. Tears were rolling. But they were not tears of hopelessness and that she would never see him again. And all those things that he shared with her meant so much to this woman. And then she turned and told it later to the pastor, and that was used at his home going. But that's the reality of, of this life. It doesn't end with us. It, it doesn't end with us. And I remember one time and where another crew, they had this guy in the back, and, and, uh, and, and he, he, he was dying, and he knew he was dying. And, but, you know, even out the back of the ambulance, you've got a side window, and you can see out the rear. And he knew that they were passing by the bank where he did his banking. And he asked the paramedic, he said, oh, no, he, uh, his son was actually riding. His son was allowed to ride in the back with him on the squad bench, and his son was sitting there. And he asked his son, he said, son, uh, aren't we right by the bank? And he said, yeah, Daddy. And he said, son, you know, I got a lot of accounts in there. He said, it sure doesn't seem like that means a whole lot to me right now. 
He said, you take that. You use it for you and the grandbabies. He said, because I don't believe I'm coming home. And he went to the hospital and he passed away. He just knew it. He knew it on the inside. But these were people that knew God, that were walking with the Lord. Now, I would just say this. I don't mean this to be morbid, but I have observed people that died that didn't have any kind of point of reference to God. Do you know what they do when they're dying? Because I've watched many of them. You know what they're doing? They're fighting with every ounce of energy and mentality that they have to live. And they are not thinking about eternal things. And for all of the people that are banking on a deathbed repentance, I'm not just trying to sow doubt, but I'm telling you as one who has observed many people leave this earth, they're not thinking about church or Bible or God. Or, they're trying to live another second, another moment. I even remember a call that I ran where they run into the, one of the pylons on the interstate and and actually, one of them was ejected, but we got to this woman, and, and I had a brand-new trainee. I was a training officer for a lot of years, so the, tr- the new paramedics would come and have to ride with me for, you know, it's about three months. And this was brand-new guy. He was from Thomasville. I didn't know nothing about him. This was one of the first calls he ran with me. And we got this woman in the back of the ambulance, and she had obvious physical signs of head trauma. Now, some of this don't mean anything to you, but the medical people, we called her eyes were calling it raccooning. She was having darkening all around both eyes. She had ecchymosis, which is blood pooling behind her ears. We could see it. And she actually had cerebral spinal fluid and blood coming out of one of her ears. So we knew from just those things and other things as well, she had a basal skull fracture. And I've seen a lot of that, but I'd never seen somebody with a basal skull fracture who was conscious. Not only conscious, but alert. So when I got her in the back of the ambulance, I actually worked for Tifton, and we didn't have a neurosurgeon then, but there was a neurosurgeon in Valdosta back then called Dr. Wren. I don't know if any of y'all remember him. Great man. And so we were rushing her to South Georgia Medical Center because she had to, to survive, had to have a neurosurgeon. She had to go to the operating room to get that intracranial pressure off. And so we had called Tifton, and they'd give us permission, and we came straight from the accident scene down Interstate 75 to Valdosta. I got in the back with her. The new paramedic was sitting on the squad bench, and I was at her head. And when I was sitting there, I heard the Lord say this to me, witness to her son witness to her now I heard him just as loud as it was audible and my thought was not now I don't have time it's not a good time maybe later I'm just human I had those thoughts I was maybe a little embarrassed by this guy because I don't know what he thinks or believes or knows he might could even try to get me in trouble <laughs> you know, if he, but I was but I heard the Lord say again not not out of he said witness to her son speak to her for me I leaned down. I was sitting at the squad bench. You don't know the ambulance and the stretcher's here and the, the bench here. So the new guy's sitting there. I'm at the head here in the command seat, we call it, and her head's right there. I leaned down, and I said, ma'am, can you hear me? We're on our way. We're getting close. You know, hey, hi. We, we're, we're lights and sire, man. We're coming. I said, ma'am, can you hear me? She said, yes, I can. I said, are you a believer in Jesus? Notice I didn't ask her, was she Baptist or was she Methodist or did she go to church? I said, are you a believer in Jesus? She said, no. My heart just filled with excitement. I just said, this is it, man. God's finna, you finna use me, you know, for her. And, and, uh, and uh, I said, ma'am, can I pray with you to become a believer in Jesus? Would you accept Jesus? And she said something, and I really thought I misunderstood her. And so, you know, we got some road noise and sirens and stuff. And I said, ma'am, I, I didn't understand what you said. Can, you, can I pray with you? To, you know, to receive Christ? She said, I said, no, real loud like that. 
the guy on the bench heard it. I don't know about all this stuff. I'm just telling you my life, okay? I ain't got it all figured out. But, man, that felt, I had goosebumps that day, but they weren't the good kind. They weren't the good kind. And when, I, when, I, when she said that loudly, I said no. I heard the same voice that said to me twice, speak to her on my behalf. Say to me, it is enough, son. It is enough. That doesn't mean God ever gave up on the woman. But he just told me my, my job there was done. I didn't have to push it. Prime. You can't shove Jesus down somebody even when they're dying. Now, see, the problem was she didn't know she was dying. I'd never seen somebody in that condition, alert, conscious. As soon as she said those words, I said no, and God said it is enough, she went unconscious. She never regained consciousness again. It is my opinion, whatever it's worth, that God kept her conscious to reach down one more time in love. Probably done it a thousand times, that woman, and extended his hand of salvation to her. And she went unconscious. By the time we reached Hay Hire, she never gained consciousness. Dr. Wren was standing on the dock, I'm not making any of this up, standing there when we put the, the stretcher on the ground. He said, he took one look at her. He said, don't even stop in the ER. In those days, it was the old ER. And we went, he said, go right in the elevator, and we're going straight to the surgery. We, we, we rode up with Dr. Wren, uh, put her on from our stretcher onto the hospital uh, operating table, and, 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 and left out. Uh, a few hours later, uh, we got, you know, back to Tifton and cleaned up and ready to, to go again. And something very strange happened. A nurse from South Georgia Medical Center called Tifton, our EMS station, and she said, are you one of the paramedics that, that brought Miss so-and-so down? I said, yes. She said, I just, y'all worked so hard on her, I just thought you want to know that she passed away during surgery. We lost her during surgery. And she never regained any, any, any you know, vital signs. We, we just lost her. She said, y'all worked so hard, I just... Felt like you needed to know that. When they said that to me, it just literally made me feel nauseated. Because I thought about that woman, how she, God, when his love reached down to her one more time. See, yeah, God brought our formation and brought us from non-existence into existence. Yes, God, if you'll receive him, he'll transform your life. It won't be perfect, but he's perfect. But God, you, you'll go through storms, you'll have problems. You know, and change is going to bring about a lot of things. And some of those things are not going to be comfortable. But God's going to be with you through every bit of it. He'll never leave you, and he'll never forsake you. But that last thing that you need to know today, and I rarely talk like this, but I felt this so strong, is that there is coming a time where we're going to stand before the Lord. And this corruption is going to put on incorruption. This mortality is going to put on immortality. And there's one verse that I want to re uh, leave you with, and I want you to see this one last verse, and then I'm closing, I promise. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. This is what Paul, and he's talking about this translation that we'll all come to. He says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For we know, now this is something we need to know, but Paul knew it, but I'm asking you, do you know it? But Paul said, if our earthly house, this body, this tent, he called it. You don't live in a tent. Tent is temporary. Camping is temporary. Do you know, as the Bible views us, we're just, we're camping. This body's just a tent. He said, but if this tent's destroyed, we have a building, not a tent, but a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring, listen to this, to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, listen, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Now look at this last verse. 
For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now notice it doesn't say that mortality will be swallowed up by death. Because death is an enemy. The Bible said the last enemy, which is death. But see, he said that your mortality as a believer is going to be swallowed up by life. And that life word there is not life like me and you breathing. It's zoe. It is the life of God. That, that death for us is that, that we are swallowed up by the life of God. And that God in that, we already have eternal life when you're born again. But he's talking about the tent. He's talking about a body that can't get old, that can't get cancer, that can't feel pain, that don't have arthritis, that don't work, that, that don't have all these problems. And, 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 and in this, we groan for that. Not because we desire to be unclothed or die or, or just get out of the picture. No, no, we, we, we desire that, that full capacity to stand in the presence of God in, in his awesome, holy fullness with that's why sometimes you pray for people, and, and I don't mean this, but there's times you can be overcome by the power of God and just fall. I, you know, I don't think everybody in church falls because they're overcome, but, I, but that's possible. That's the power of God. I told you this, my little wife one time, she's raised Baptist, she's a sweet Baptist girl. You got to love a sweet Baptist girl. She got around me and my background, Pentecostal and charismatic, charismaniac, charis whatever. Sometimes, don't get offended, I'm just, but, but uh, people always try to get a label. What are you? I don't know. Just believer in Jesus, that's all I know. But I remember, and I've told this story before, but I, I just do it quickly, but I remember when she, I was a paramedic, and I was working those 24-hour shifts, sometimes longer than that, but she went to our church, a revival, and we'd just gotten married. We hadn't been married long, and some of this stuff was still new to her, and boy, we had some wild folks in our home church. They'd, they'd scream, holler, run, shout, you know, and, and all that stuff. And uh, they didn't swing from the chandelier, but that's only because they were too high. They couldn't reach them. That's, uh, that's, I mean, I'm not making this up. I, we had pews. I would literally, people would jump up, grown men, and run the top of the pews. Not even looking down. Never missed, you know. And I saw a couple brothers hit between the pews that was trying to mock the brother that did that. He was doing it under the anointing. I don't know, you know. But people would, it'd be like if I just mounted it, we had pews, and he'd start there, and he'd run all the way to the back of the church, and people would be sitting there and have to move out his way, you know. And he'd be have both hands in the air. I'm not making this up. Have both hands in the air, just big tall guy. He'd just be hitting the top of each pew, you know, speaking in tongues, run, you know. You go, Man, it's got to be God. That guy's going to kill himself. <laughs> and I do remember one night, one brother got all excited, you know, saw him doing it, and he jumped up and tried to do it, and about the third pew, he went, boom, he was all in the floor. But, of course, when you do that in the Pentecostal church, you just lay there like you're out in the spirit. <laughs> you're really not, but you don't want to admit that you kind of got in the flesh there a little bit. You know what I'm saying? But my wife, my little wife, she went up to the, you know, in those days they would have these prayer lines down the center and say, we want everybody in the church getting this prayer line. You know, so she's pretty timid about all that, especially her husband wasn't there to protect her from these wild Pentecostal people, but... She got in the prayer line, and she walked up, you know, and, and this guy was laying hands on people. You know, it's like, you know, you hear it like, you know, it's like, you know, you're like, glory to God. You know, he's just laying hands on people. You know, they're next. They're going down because he's knocking them down. No, you know. 
So my wife's watching all this, and she, she, you know, she, she probably was thinking about getting out of line, but, but she, you know, she just went up there and waiting her turn. And when she stood before this guy, this evangelist, this wild-eyed, you know, evangelist, you know, this, when she stood before him, he never touched her. God, God knows where you are. And he looked at her, and he just said this to her. He said, Sister, the Lord tells me to tell you to clap your hands three times. Now, if you're one of those guys that go, well, why I got to clap my hand three times? Just get out the line. <laughs> God's going to love you the same. But God sees hunger. He sees hunger and desire for him. And so she was obedient. And she said she never remembers clapping the third time. Now, this little sweet little Baptist girl went out, fell down, never remembering clapping the third time. Don't know if she did or didn't. It don't matter. But when she came to some time later, she had been with God. She had had an encounter with the living God that he chose to have with her. And you will never, ever, with all your philosophy and all your theological whatever, ever take that See, a person with an experience is not at the mercy with somebody with a teaching. Now, I believe in teaching. You know that. But I have found myself lately, Billy Ray, praying, God, even Friday morning walking in here, let us, let me have an encounter. Intersect my life. I believe in you. If, you never, if I never feel a goosebump again, I believe in you. I'm going to serve you if I never see anything again. But, oh, God, I love those times when you overshadow me with your manifested presence. When, when my body can't help but to respond to your, your, your glory. God, I can't make something happen. I can't flip a switch. I, but I want to encounter you. I want you to encounter me. I, I just I, I want that. Not so I can come and have a, a story, but, I, but I, 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 I just want that. I've had many, more than I deserve. I'll, any of them was more than I deserve. But I find myself now longing for those times where God intersects my life and just unexpectedly, overwhelmingly just blows me away. And I don't care how it comes, and most of those come in private, to be frank with you. But I want to just be there. One of the greatest things that, well, let me say it another way. One of the things that Christians do that we should never do is pray for God's presence. That's something that Christians love to do that God hates. Now, don't think I'm undoing what I just said. I'm not praying for God's presence as if he's not present with me always. He promised, I'll never leave you. Did he mean that? Even when you, you sin, he won't leave you? Absolutely not. You can't make him leave you. I'll never forsake you. If he just said, I'll never leave you, that'd be good enough. But then on, on top of that, to say, listen, I won't never forsake you. Because that devil will lie and say, God, God has forsaken you. And you know what he'll do? He'll point to your circumstances. God's not here. Where's God? I thought he loved you. All those are lies. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. But he'll go with you. Go where? Whatever you're going through. God's with you. Don't ever believe the lie that God's not with you. Don't ever believe the lie that God's not aware of your pain, of your sorrow. 
God was aware of every empty chair that you had around your home at Christmas. Somebody needs to hear that. We'll celebrate Christmas 2018. We will not know who will not be joining us this year. But if they are a believer, they have been translated into that place with God. Paul said, I desire to be clothed with this. He said, to be absent from the body, he said this in that same chapter, is to be present with the Lord. He said, we groan for this. I desire to be with the Lord. That's what Paul said. So this reality, you've been formed. If you've received Christ, you've been transformed and are being transformed in your mind. And you will be translated. You'll get to join all your family that's right now with the Lord. They're not in some cemetery. They're not lying in some grave. If they're a believer, when they took their last breath here, their next breath was in the face of God, in the presence of the Lord. I remember when my granddaddy died, we was at the hospital. He was going into congestive heart failure, had all these problems. But there was a bunch of old holiness Baptist preachers around his bed. And one of them leaned over or said to the, those in the room, he said, the Lord just sent the angels to come get him. And they said about that time, everybody's hair on their body stood up to attention as they experienced my granddaddy breathing his last. God was allowing that man to see in the realm of the spirit. My granddaddy had a stroke, had brain surgery at Gainesville Hospital at Shands, had all kinds of problems. That stroke left him paralyzed on his left side, never could move his left arm, his left leg. He just drug it. He never, from the moment that he went to bed on Friday night and awakened Saturday morning, did he ever speak a word that was, did he articulate that we could understand. He would have to try to convince, you know, he just couldn't speak. He lost that ability there in the stroke. But on one night, while he was lying in his hospital bed in home, my dad is sitting there, his brother, his, their mother was there. My granddaddy would have what they call grand mal seizures because of the tumor and all in his brain. And in this time, is this thing needing to be? Okay, there we go. But in this time, and I'm closing, they felt, they, they heard this noise, this ruckus going on, and they thought he was having a seizure. So they immediately took off to the middle bedroom where that hospital bed was, and they opened the door, and there sat my, my granddad was lying in this bed. He hadn't moved at all, not, not even nothing for days. He was sitting up in the bed, both arms raised to heaven, speaking in tongues in a heavenly language that he was not taught, articulating every syllable, every word, with his eyes open, and they said, and gazing like through the roof, talking to God in God's language. And then you're going to come along and tell me speaking in tongues ain't a God, and you take all your stuff and pack it up in religion because you can't convince me. You know, when he laid back down after having those few moments with his hands raised that he couldn't raise, why would God do that? I don't know. But one thing it did do is it let us know this stuff's real. God's real. My granddad had a real relationship. You know what he did? He lied back and he laid down in the bed, and he never moved it again as far as me. Next morning, I was standing on the front porch when the ambulance came and got him, took him to the hospital in a couple of days or days so later. That day he died. But what we were left with was if the young family was a witness, your, your daddy, your granddaddy went home to be with God. He was talking to him, I believe, about his home going in that heavenly language that nobody could understand. And God allowed a supernatural thing to happen 
just as a witness to this us that are left here. It, the translation is real. The going home is real. Would you stand with me, please? Do you receive the word of the Lord today? Come on, give God praise. Hallelujah. Ministry team, elders, will my ministry team come? And, man, I, I feel this today and so strong. I don't know if it's just me because it being the first day of a brand new year. But I want to tell you, there are people here I know that we need to pause and say, God, why am I? Here, why, what is my purpose? What's your purpose for my life? That, that if you've not received Jesus, what a great time, every time. But start the year out by saying, I'm not going to depend on myself anymore. I'm not going to depend on my good deeds, my right. If you ask anybody that's in this, any other religion in the world, if you ask a Muslim, how will they receive you know, eternal life and bliss. This is, any Muslim, this is what they'll answer. You know, this is true. They'll say, your good deeds must outweigh your bad. If you ask a Hindu, how, how will he attain oneness with life? They will answer the same. You will ha your good deeds will have to outweigh your bad. Listen, every religion of the world, other than Christianity, puts the burden upon you and what you do in order to receive or merit life after death. Only Christianity says it's not about your good deeds. It's not even about your bad deeds. It's about what Jesus done. And he takes his goodness and his righteousness and he credits it to you and applies it to you and imputes it to you. And you receive now the full benefit of the covenant that he made with the Father before you were ever born. And you walk in that liberty and that freedom and in that confidence that when, when we die, we're not waiting to see if we made it. We've already been seated with heavenly, in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's what Ephesians says. But how are you living the life that God's given you? What are, you, what are your plans for 2018? What is your view? What is your focus? What is your desire for this year? Please, man, if you had not received Christ... You know the Holy Spirit, just like I told that woman in the back of that ambulance, ma'am, may I pray with you that you become a believer? And I'm asking that same thing today. Ma'am, sir, may I pray with you today that you become a believer in Jesus Christ for your righteousness, your eternal redemption? And I pray I don't hear, I said no. I, I pray you say, I say yes. Yes, yes, and a thousand times yes to the offer that God made through his son Jesus. I just feel that somebody needs to make that decision today in this place. That you need to receive Christ as your Savior. And stop messing around. Stop trying it on your own. Just rest in Him. Amen. So, Father, I lift up your word. As Moses lifted up, Lord God, that rod, that staff that represented your word, your authority. I lift up the word of the Lord. which Paul said that he wasn't ashamed of this word. The gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation to them that believeth. I pray that those that have heard it, whether they hear it over the podcast, over the internet, or however it comes to them, and especially those in this place, in this church, in this sanctuary, they will believe the gospel, the good news, and they will put their confidence, their faith, their trust in Christ, not themselves.